Exodus chapter 3, there was a freshman at Eagle Rock Junior High School and he won first prize at the Greater Idaho Falls Science Fair on April the 26th, 1997. He was attempting to show how conditioned we become to alarmist practicing junk science and spreading fear of everything in our environment. His project, he urged people to sign a petition demanding strict control or total elimination of the chemical dihydrogen monoxide. And for plenty of good reasons, too, since it can cause excessive sweating and vomiting. It is a major component in acid rain. It can cause severe burns in a gaseous state. Accidental, accidental inhalation can kill you. It decreases the effectiveness of automobile brakes and has been found in tumors of terminal cancer patients. He asked 50 people if they supported a ban of the chemical. 43 said yes. Six were undecided, and only one knew that the chemical was H2O. <laughs> the title of his prize-winning project was, How Gullible Are We? He feels the conclusion is obvious. How many of you picked up that that was? <laughs> oh, my. Well, the things that we can, we can do, because sometimes we just feel pressured to go in a certain direction. We just feel pressure from people. We're going to look at a number of different ways that pressure can come to us that can kind of kind of turn things and make things go in a certain direction. But uh, before we do that, I had this that I wanted to show you. Nikolai, if you'll come on up here and help me out with this. In the course of this series, this is what we're attempting to accomplish here. There are pressures that come upon us. And one of the pressures that can come is just simply by living. Just simply by existing and living, we have pressures that come upon us. This is typified by when you drive your car or if you were a pilot flying an airplane. You don't have to do anything. Nothing has to come against you in any kind of direction, but it can take you off course just as a normal circumstance and you are constantly making adjustments to keep yourself on course. So there is pressure that we feel that is moving us in different directions. Now, when we feel this pressure, we we tend to build up a resistance again about this. If, uh, if you've been trained in athletics, as soon as you feel pressure, what do you do? Resist. You resist. So when the pressure comes, we resist and we don't move. Now, that's good when the pressure is coming against you. But the purpose of this series is this. We want to teach you how to discern between the pressure that comes from circumstances the pressure that comes from the enemy and the direction that comes from God. The idea is that when pressure comes from the enemy, when pressure comes from circumstances, we resist it. When it comes against us, we don't move. We stand. But when we know that the pressure is coming from God and he steers us into a direction, we, we, we yield. And we go in. Thanks very much for that. I just saw that example right there of seeing that. This is what we need to accomplish. Too often, we are resisting the voice of God and giving in to the pressures of the world. And we don't know why we're off course. We need to resist every single pressure that comes against us from living in the world and every single one that comes from the enemy. And we need to give in to whatever pressure God puts on us for direction. The Word of God calls it His discipline. He disciplines those whom He loves. 
Does he love you? Yes. <laughs> sure does. Glory to God for that, huh? Last time we were looking at Saul and David, we saw how Saul was in a pressure situation and he felt like he had to act. And he made the sacrifice. And as soon as he got done the sacrifice, who came up? Samuel, what have you done? Well, when I saw and I felt, I felt compelled and I made the sacrifice. Because the pressure that he was in was causing him to have an act, uh, a response. David put himself in a pressurized situation. He put himself right in front of the enemy. He saw the enemy coming. He heard over and over and over and over again, what will be done to the person who kills this Philistine? And he went into battle. And he said, I have killed a lion. I've killed a bear. And this Philistine will be just like one of them. And so he put himself out there. And the pressure came in from the Philistine, from the things he was saying. The pressure was there because he's in before all the enemies. He's on the stage. But what we found out from David was this is not the first time he has put himself in a pressurized situation. He has done it before because he realized he is a servant of God. And he knows how to, re- how to see when the pressure of the world is trying to get him to change and when God is trying to alter his course. And that's what we need to learn. So we're going to look at some more examples here today. Turn with me over to, if you're not already there, Exodus chapter 3. We saw that with, uh, as we were looking at this, there are those that are under us, there are those that are over us, and there are those that are against us. We always have people that are under us. We always have people that are over us. And it always seems like there's people that are against us. When we looked at the case with Saul, Saul looked at those that were under him. He looked at those that were over him in Samuel. And he looked at those that were against him as far as the Philistines were concerned. And he kept blaming all these other people. We said, if this comes to be a familiar tune in your life, take warning. If you are constantly blaming those that are under you, those that are over you, and those that are against you for the reason that you are making the decisions that you're making, you will continually have problems because pressure will move you in different directions. We said before and with, uh, with Saul in verse 12 of chapter 13 of 1 Samuel. You don't turn there. I'm just going to read this for you. Then I said, the Philistines will now come down to me at Gilgal and I have not made supplication to the Lord. Therefore, I felt compelled and offered a burnt offering. He didn't say, I thought. He said, I said. I, then I said, the Philistines will now come down on me at Gilgal and I have not made supplication. We get into trouble with the things we th- that we think. We get in more trouble with the things that we say, and even more trouble with the things that we do. That's the progression we saw. David saw the same situation everyone else did. For them, it produced fear of something. For him, it produced faith for something. You can be in the same situation as other people. And just because it's producing fear in you does not mean it's not supposed to be producing faith for something. It's not the situation. It's what you're into. It's, it's, it's what's right there. Remember Israel? Israel was constantly put in pressured situations. Pressured situations that God intended to bring them out of. The Red Sea, the lack of water, the lack of food, the bitter water. How many situations did they face? And every time that they faced the pressure, oh, there's no water here. Oh, there's bad water here. Oh, there's no food. Oh, we got the army coming against us. Oh, we got the Red Sea. Oh, we got... Every time they faced something, what did they do? They felt the pressure and they changed. But God wanted them to learn how to take that pressure and not change. There are situations that you're going through, some from the enemy and some just from life. 
And the God, the goal is that you face these situations and do not change. Because if you learn how to not change now, when you face the Philistine, when you face the Philistine army, when you face these different situations, that God knows this is coming. The enemy is sending this your way. I'm trying to get you ready. And if we are resistant to him getting us ready, when they come, they will crush us. And it's not because that's what God intended. It's because we were not ready. We did not prepare. When Israel came to the promised land and it was time for them to go in and they sent the spies and the spies came out and gave the report, what did they do? They doubted. They complained. Why? Because they were not ready. They did not take the opportunity that God gave them in the wilderness to learn how to absorb the pressure and to keep going. And that's what we need to to learn. Exodus chapter 3, verse 1. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the back of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. So he looked and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight. Why the bush does not burn. I don't know about you, but this tells me a little bit about Moses. Most of us, if we saw a bush burning, would think, hmm, interesting, and just go. This is, not, this is not what Moses does. Moses says, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. Who's he talking to? There's nobody there. It doesn't say he thought it. It said he, he said it. So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. I don't know if you know, a, you found a bush that's burning and the bush knows your name. This is interesting. I don't know if, if I would be saying, here I am, I may be saying, here I was. And <laughs> you're out of there. Bush talking to you, calling you by name. Man, I was here, but I'm going now. Then he said, do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people, who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters for I know their sorrows so I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up from the land to a good and large land to a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. He says again, so I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up. God has come down to deliver them up. Who is doing the delivering? God. He says, I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up. Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. So you have this first off. God says, I am going to do it. Now you go to them. God's sending them. Come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh. God who's making a bush burn without being consumed. Verse 11. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Now, here's what we're seeing. Moses has been enjoying this experience. He's been talking with God. 
watching the bush burn. He's got this little, you know, interest peaked a little bit. But now all of a sudden, God says, I'm going to send you. Come, I'm going to send you. Now, what's he feeling? Pressure. Pressure. <laughs> Pressure. Wait a minute. I got to leave where I, I like where I am. I mean, it's not astounding. It's not great, but, you know, it's better than living by myself or being in the wilderness or whatever else. It might. It's not, it's not too bad. So he says, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Now, when he says this, because we know the history of Moses, we can get some things out of this. He says, who am I that I should go? He's looking back upon his failure. I tried that before. I tried to help him and I wasn't anyone who could do this. I was not great enough to do that. They, you know, I got very little done and had to run for my life. So this is his, uh, this is his, his reason not to go. How many of y'all have reasons not to do things God told you to do? Yeah, me too. We all have reasons, don't we? We come up with reasons why I should not do it. <laughs> How many of you ever had reasons why I should not be healed? How about reasons why I shouldn't obey what God showed me to do in His Word? How about reasons why I can't understand the Word of God? How about reasons why I'm no good to any other Christian? I'm just barely getting myself through this thing. We've always got reasons. And Moses has got a whole lot of reasons. And he's going to give them to him. Who am I is his first reason. So God's answer is this. So he said, I will certainly be with you. And this shall be a sign to you that I have sent you when you have brought this people out of Egypt and you shall serve God on this mountain. Well, his answer is, I will be with you. I, if I'm Moses, I have a problem with the rest of that answer as well. <laughs> I understand. All right, I will be with you. But I've got a problem with the second part of that. I think Moses might have had a problem with it. You might have had a, a problem with it. What God is saying is, look, go. When it works and we bring you out into this mountain, that'll be a sign. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> I need a sign when I'm down there. Once we get them out, I think they're all got it, got it down pretty good. I will be with you. If God comes to you and says, I will be with you. Would you want to give another excuse? Well, Moses did. <laughs> then Moses said to God, indeed, when I come to the children of Israel. All right, you know, I do what you say and you're going to be with me and all that. And I say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they say to me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? Now, what he's basically doing is, and all these things, is, and I'm trying to, you know, summarize this for you so it would be real succinct and you could see this. He's basically saying is, they won't respect me. I could go down there and say that God sent me, but I say, who are you? How do you know God? How do we know that God is even with you at all? Because you say so? Basically saying this, they will not respect me. And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Moreover, God said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And this is my memorial to all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob appeared to me saying, I have surely visited you and seen what you have done in Egypt. And I have said, I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites, to a land flowing with milk and honey. And they will heed your voice. And you shall come, you and the elders of Israel, to the king of Egypt. And you shall say to him, The Lord God of the Hebrews has met with us. And now, please let us go three days' journey into the wilderness, 
that we may sacrifice the Lord our God. But I am sure that the king of Egypt will not let you go. No, not even by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all wonders, which I will do in its midst. And after that, he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And it shall be when you go that you shall not go empty handed. But every woman shall ask of her neighbor, namely of her who dwells near her house, articles of silver, articles of gold and clothing. And you shall put them on your sons and your daughters and you shall plunder the Egyptians. So God's answer is my name will be behind you. That's a pretty good thing to have behind you. God's name will be behind you. Now, how many of you would stop then? No more questions. Just go ahead and do it. How much pressure is Moses feeling that he asks another one? You've got to understand how much pressure Moses is feeling. Moses has been doing fine all the way up until now. But as soon as God brings up going back to Egypt where he failed to deliver Egypt when he first felt the call and he's got people now that are after him and Israel didn't think much of him and all his efforts that he did. He doesn't want to go back. He's feeling a lot of pressure about going back into that situation. Then Moses answered and said, but suppose they will not believe me or listen to my voice. Suppose they say the Lord has not appeared to me. In other words, he's saying this. What if I don't seem credible? <laughs> what if they look at me and say, we, why would we believe you? Again, we're looking at, they've, they've seen me in the past. They saw where I came from. They saw that I failed. They all know about this. They may not respect me. They're not going to see me as credible. So the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? He said, a rod. And he said, cast it on the ground. So he cast it on the ground and it became a serpent. Moses fled from it. Then the Lord said to Moses, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. And he reached out his hand and caught it and it became a rod in his hand. Then that they may believe the Lord God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Furthermore, the Lord has said to him, now put your hand in your bosom and he put it in his bosom, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. Then he said, Put your hand in your bosom again. So he put his hand in his bosom again and drew it out of his bosom, and behold, it was restored like his other flesh. Look at what Moses is doing. When God speaks, he does it. When he throws down the rod and it becomes a, a snake, and God says, Go grab it by the tail. That's not how you grab a snake. If you were inclined to grab one. You don't grab it by the, the, the tail unless you're that guy that uh, from um, <laughs> crocodile guy. Who, uh, I mean, he grabs snakes by the tail all the time, and I thought he was a nut. <laughs> I remember one scene. He had that. I don't know how long this thing was. It had to be 30, 40 feet long. It was a big old green snake and just long as could be. And he's got that thing by the tail. And I'm thinking, that thing can just whip right on around there and get him. He's talking about how deadly it was and how his heart was beaten because, you know, at any moment he could die. <laughs> you know how he always brought out all those things. And I'm thinking, if I'm Moses and I'm having a hard time obeying the word of God, I'm not grabbing the snake. Right? Because obviously it was a snake that would strike fear in him. More than likely, it's a snake that the Egyptians would see. It could very well have been a cobra or something. It's, it's a big old nasty snake. I don't like cobras. I don't go around picking up cobras. I don't keep them in my house. I have no desire to go out and buy one and have it just for kicks. Cobras belong elsewhere or whatever the snake they, they are. I get no excitement out of some snake crawling around a cage eating mice. 
go to the zoo and watch that if I want to, and then leave. But he, he, God says, go in and grab it by the tail. And he does. He doesn't argue with him about this. He argues about going back to Egypt. But he doesn't argue about picking up a snake. Isn't that interesting? And when God says, put your hand in your bosom and it turns leprous. Well, leprosy can spread by contact. So he says, put it back in your bosom. No! <laughs> it's bad enough it's on my hands. But he doesn't. He doesn't have a problem obeying God. He's got a problem going back to Egypt. He's feeling pressure from that situation. He's feeling pressure from the fact that he failed, that it didn't work. Then it will be if they do not believe you, nor heed the message of the first sign, that they may believe the message of the latter sign. And it shall be, if they do not believe even these two signs, or listen to your voice, then you shall take water from the river and pour it on the dry ground, and the water which you take from the river will become blood on the dry ground. So God's answer was this. If they won't respect you, show them these signs. Show them these signs. You will have credibility. They will respect you. They will see you as credible. Because I will be with you. I will go with you. I didn't put this in your outline. But credibility comes from using what, we, what you have, not from what you want. Too often, we think I'll become credible if I have this, if I get this, if this happens to me. And until that happens, I'm not going to become credible. But what does God use? What's in Moses' hand. If God wants to make you credible in the eyes of people where you work, where you live, family and relatives, if He wants to make you credible, He will use what you have. Credibility comes from using what you have, not from what you want. Verse 10, Then Moses said to the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither before nor since. You have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. In other words, I don't know what to say. How many of you have ever thought about that when you thought about sharing Jesus with a neighbor? About sharing Jesus with somebody at work? About sharing Jesus with a relative? How many have ever thought, I just don't know what to say? And you talked yourself right out of it because I don't know what to say. They're going to ask me questions and I don't know what to say. That's what Moses is doing. So the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth or who makes the mute, the deaf, the seen or the blind? Have I, have not I the Lord? Now therefore go and I will be with you or with your mouth and teach you what you shall say. God will teach you what you shall say. But when's he going to do it? And when you go and when you speak, I'll teach you what to say. <laughs> See, we, we want to find out what to say on the wilderness and then go into Egypt and speak. God says, no, go into Egypt. I'll teach you what to say. We don't like that as much, do we? So God's answer, who has made man's mouth? It's me. I'll take care of it. But he said in verse 13, Oh my Lord, please send by the hand of whomever else you may send. In other words, send anyone else but me. I'm out of excuses. All I can tell you is, I don't want to go. The very prospect of going back into Egypt. I just, I, I can't do it. I can't do it. Don't make me go back there. He's feeling the pressure. Don't make me go back there. Just please send another. Anyone else. I don't care who it is. 
Just send someone else. Surely there is someone else that you can get hold of. You've waited 400 years for me. Obviously, you can get somebody else. Just send someone else. Can you imagine going up before God after going through the snake incident, after going through the leprosy incident and seeing these miracles, after seeing the burning bush, after all these things are going on and you say to God, God, send someone else. After God says, I will be with you, God, send someone else. I will do these signs for you. God, send someone else. Now, when he was dealing with issues that he felt were going to hinder him, God dealt with each one. But on this one, we have, so the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And he said, is not Aaron the Levite your brother? Now, what does it mean to kindle something? It means to start it, right? I mean, you, if you go on home and you got no fire in the fireplace, what do you got to do? You got to kindle a fire. And, and don't just think that, you know, we do this all the time at our house. We got to kindle lots of fires because that's how we heat our home. We heat it with fire, put it in the fireplace and just light it on up. And so you just can't put stuff in there and light a match because it'll go out. It's a careful thing of, of, of arranging certain types of wood that will catch fire easy and, uh, and opening the door just so, so that the, the wind will, will fan the flame not too much so that it blows it out. But just enough to get it going. And then once the fire is going and, and it's kindled, you got to get the door closed because as long as the door in the fireplace is open, at least the way ours, is, ours works, it draws hot air out of the house. Shoots it right up the chimney. But as soon as you close that door, now it is just pumping hot air into the room and it heats it up really, really fast. But you've got to kindle it. you got to set it up. So in order to kindle that fire, you've got to do the right things to get it to go. And what this is saying is Moses has done the right things to get God mad. If you want to know how to get God mad, just look at what Moses did because Moses did it really well. Find whatever valid excuse you can and tell God you can't go because of it. And then when God answers every single question and gives you a way out of every single situation, then just tell him, I don't want to go. And he'll get mad. <laughs> now, he's not the only one that has done this. Israel went through the wilderness, and then when they got to the promised land, they said, I don't want to go. And what happened to God? He got mad. <laughs> you can get God mad by not doing or going where he said to go. When he said to do it. Or by going someplace you're not supposed to go. And we can go through the Word of God and have lots of fun with that. The sons of Korah, did they get God mad? Because they went someplace they were not supposed to go. Did Aaron, Aaron Miriam get God mad? Because they went somewhere they were not supposed to go. So, you want to get God mad? Go where you're not supposed to go or don't go where you are. Real easy. God's simple on that part. I said I wanted you there. Get over, get over there. Come on, I need you. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And he said, Is not Aaron the Levite your brother? I know that he can speak well. And look, he is coming, also coming out to meet you. When he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. Now you shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth. And I will be with your mouth and with his mouth. And I will teach you what you shall do. Now look at this. Verse 15. I will teach you what you must do. Before this, God said, I will teach you what to say. 
Now he says, I'll teach you what you must do. All right, you're not going to be open to me telling you what to say? Fine, we'll use someone else in that area. Instead, I'll teach you what to do. And so Moses became the doer and Aaron became the speaker. Shall he, so he shall be your spokesman to the people and he himself shall be as a mouth for you and you shall be to him as God. And you shall take this rod in your hand with which you shall do these signs. So Moses went and returned to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, Please let me go and return to my brethren who are in Egypt and see whether they are still alive. Now, if you're going to Jethro and you're asking permission, please let me go. How many of you are thinking that Moses inside is saying, please don't let me go, please don't let me go, please. (laughs) I don't know if that's the case, but I kind of think that maybe he's going to, please Jethro, give me a good reason. If you say no, maybe, you know, that'll hold up with God. But Jethro didn't get with the program and he said to him, go in peace. And the Lord said to Moses in Midian, go return to Egypt for all the men who sought your life are dead. Then Moses took his wife and his sons and set them on a donkey and he returned to the land of Egypt and Moses took the rod of God in his hand. So God's answer, he got mad. (laughs) He got angry with him and says, you will go. I'll get Aaron. He'll be your spokesman. Now, anything else? I mean, he's mad. He's already causing the bush to burn. The pressure that we see in this story comes from feelings of inadequacy comes from feelings of inadequacy and or past failures. We too can be in the same situation. We can have feelings of being inadequate or feelings of past failures cause us to feel pressure about jumping in or not again. Has anyone ever had some past failures? And God said, go back into that situation. Go back into this place. And we feel pressure. Have you ever felt inadequate? You know why we feel inadequate? We don't feel inadequate for things we've never done. We feel inadequate for things we've done and failed. Because I did that and I wasn't good enough to get it done. We feel pressure from feeling inadequate. We feel pressure from the past failures. This is what Moses is doing. And it is putting so much pressure in his life that he is willing to stand before a burning bush and argue with God. 2 Samuel chapter 11 and verse 1. It happened in the spring of the year at the time when the kings go out to battle that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel and they destroyed the people of Ammon, besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. Then it happened one evening that David arose from his bed and walked on the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful to behold. So David sent and inquired about the woman and someone said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite, and David sent messengers and took her, and she became, and she came to him, and he lay with her, for she was cleansed from her impurity, and she returned to her house, and the woman conceived, and she sent and told David, and said, I am with child. Now the word tells, tells us about David, tells us some things about David. David was where he shouldn't be. It said, at the time when kings go out to battle, David is at home. He's where he shouldn't be. Number two, the word tells us that he's bored. He's on his bed at nighttime and gets up. He's been laying around, not doing a whole lot. Maybe he thought he needed a vacation. I've been fighting an awful lot of battles. I need a little time off. And well, this is just not working out. He saw a beautiful woman and he inquired about her. 
So he's where he shouldn't be. He was bored. He saw a beautiful woman and he inquired about her. Now, first off, if he wasn't where he wasn't supposed to be, this wouldn't be a story. <laughs> but he's there. I put it this way and just kind of summed it up like this. If you like this, you can put it in there. David was in a bad location with a bad occupation, with bad visualization, and bad interrogation, resulting in a bad culmination. <laughs> he's visualizing the beautiful woman. He's making inquiry. He's interrogating. Who is this woman? I mean, first off, if you see a temptation and you know you shouldn't be in there, don't inquire about it. Don't be talking to people about it. You don't need to make inquiry. You don't need to interrogate anybody about that thing. You, you just, just shouldn't be doing it. Now, this pressure that he's feeling, and he's feeling pressure. He's up there on the roof. He saw the beautiful woman. He's feeling pressure to ask her to come up to the room. This kind of, he doesn't need to be doing this. He's the king. He knows better. But this pressure comes from what I may not get. This is nearly, not nearly as urgent, but it seems to call people. Oh, if you don't act now, she's going to get away. You're not going to see her again. You're not going to find out who this woman is. Hmm. And so he probably went back into bed and laid down there and was thinking about some things and thinking about what he might miss out on and decided that, you know, who is, who is that person who lives in that house right down there? No, that one, that one, yeah. Well, let me go find out. And they all go find out. And David wants to know who lives in this, this house. We got a lot of people involved now. This pressure comes from what I may not get. How many times have we begun to think about things about what I may not get if I obey God and do this. If I do what God said to do. If I step out in this area or don't step out in this area. You know, beside the, the thing here with the women, you can think of some other things. How many folks have ever thought when you first got involved with tithing, how many have ever, you know, if, if you just don't pay that, look at what you can do with the money. Or a bill comes due that's right around that neck of the woods. What that that would be. I was listening to somebody, and they were they were talking about the the tithing, and they were saying, uh, "He said you will pay your tithe. Everyone will pay their tithe. Either you give it to God willingly, or the enemy takes it. But you will pay it." I thought, boy, that's a <laughs> that's a good way to look at that one. Mm mm. And I'll tell you what, our life is sure boring it out. When we have stayed faithful and we made that decision, I made that decision before I was married. My wife made that decision when, before she was married. So it was real easy when we were married to keep that decision and keep going with it. And we just kept going with it and, and God just worked out things. We were able to, to do things. We sit back there and just, how in the world did that happen? How did we make this, this work? But glory to God. God does it. We don't need to figure all that out. You just need to be obedient. But you begin to feel pressure. Well, I could have that if I just didn't. Now, we know the rest of the story. He goes on to murder her husband. Why? Because first off, we bring the husband on home and trying to get the husband to go on home with the wife. And then, you know, he thinks that the baby's hers, his. And everything works out just fine. But that didn't work out quite the way it was. The Uriah was man of integrity and wouldn't uh, go along with David's plan. So he had Uriah take the note to 
Joab and Joab, uh, you know, do this and he, he's setting him up to, to die. Now he's bringing Joab in on it. And now Joab's got something on David. And, and Joab uses it. And so Uriah dies. He does this. This act came from the pressure to conceal. So when there's one story, we see that there's pressure for what I may not get and there is pressure to conceal. How many times have we ever done something we shouldn't have done and we feel the pressure to conceal it? I need to cover that up. I don't want anybody to know this. We need to conceal it because if I conceal it, you know, it won't be harmful. It's just like in your refrigerator. If something spoils and goes bad, just hide it. It'll all be fine if you don't see it. Right? No. Eventually it starts to smell real bad and you may not see where it is, but mm, you know what's in there. Matthew 26, verse 69. You know that Jesus told Peter that Peter before the cock crows two times, you will have denied me three times. Verse 69. Now Peter sat outside the courtyard and a servant girl came to him saying, You also were with Jesus of Galilee. But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you are saying. And when he had gone out to the gateway, another girl saw him and said to those who were there, This fellow was also with Jesus of Nazareth, but again he denied it with an oath. I do not know the man. And a little later, those who stood by came up and said to Peter, Surely you also are one of them, for your speech betrays you. Then he began to curse and swear, saying, I do not know the man. Immediately a rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the word of Jesus who had said to him before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So he went out and wept bitterly. If you go over to the Luke passage, Luke adds one extra thing to it. He's in the courtyard. He was watching them beat Jesus the way that he was. And as soon as he denied him the third time, verse 61 in Luke, the reference is there in your outline. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord. So as soon as Peter denied him the third time, Jesus is in the courtyard and he turns his head and he looks directly at Peter. That's kind of spooky, isn't it? (laughs) And Peter sees Jesus look at him. Peter was close enough to Jesus that he could see him. He could see the beating that he was taking. And three times he denied him. What kind of pressure was Peter feeling? I mean, just the day before. Oh man, I'm I'm ready to die for you. I don't know about the rest of these jokers, but me, I'm ready to die with you. And Jesus says to him, Peter, <laughs> cock's not going to grow crow two times before you deny me three times. Oh no, no, it's not going to happen. I don't know about this guy John over here. You know, I know you like him and all that sort of stuff, but <laughs> as far as I'm concerned, I'll, I'll I'll be fine. He felt really good about it then, but then all of a sudden, the pressure came in. He could not even imagine a pressured situation in which he would deny the Lord Jesus Christ and yet it came upon him suddenly. Which means there was some preparation that he was in line for and didn't receive. Was what Peter faced in the courtyard when he denied him, was this more than Peter could bear? Was it more than he could handle? That's not a simple answer, is it? Your, your minds are going on this thing, aren't they? You're looking at some things, you're thinking about some stuff, and is it more than Peter could handle? Now, the Lord told him this is going to happen. Is it more than he can handle? He failed. 
Just because we fail at something doesn't mean we couldn't have been successful. He could have been successful. Why did he fail? He didn't adequately prepare. Most Christians fail in the area of pressure because they don't prepare themselves adequately. They don't get themselves ready. There are situations that are coming your way. It's just life. You know, how many of you all know little kids can, can push your buttons? You ever been in a situation where little kids push your buttons? Yeah. I'm not around a whole lot of little kids anymore. I mean, for most of the week, I, I can go through days and not see them. Sometimes, you know, people come over and they bring little kids over to see the bunk beds and stuff like that. But, you know, I only got them for 15, 20 minutes. My daughter, she's over there with the little ones all day. Sarah, I know she's with them all day. And uh, they don't have a choice to, you know, they're not leaving. They dropped off in the morning and they're going to be there all. And they can push your button. They can try you in different ways, right? Some of you, you know, if you have little ones and they're at home, they aren't leaving either. There is no five o'clock whistle. And the the day ends. It just keeps on going. It's just going to... And there's pressure from those things. But you see, God has a way of getting us ready. If we listen. If we listen to Him, He's got a way to get us ready. Didn't Jesus take them on up to uh, to the garden? Come with me. Pray that you enter not into temptation. He gave them a way to get ready. They didn't take it. They fell asleep. God has a way for us to get ready. Sometimes we have faced something really big in the area of our health. And we, oh, this is too much. I can't bear this. Now, it's not a thing that God says, well, I know that you're going to come down with cancer down the road and we just want to get you ready for it. No. This isn't that at all. But we can get ready with all the stuff that comes along so that when we are faced with that, we're ready for it. Believe God for your colds. Believe God for your sore throats and your coughs. Learn how to believe God in these situations. Simply so that when you are facing something greater, you're ready. You're prepared. And it doesn't take you by storm. Learn how to give account of your faith for the people that you're giving account of now. So that later on when you face a greater temptation to fall back on what you're testifying about with God? You don't. There's little things that come up. Remember last week we looked at Saul? Didn't take some of the things he should have done. David did. And when situation arose for David, David was ready. Saul could have gone out. He could have been the one. This pressure that Peter's facing is pressure that comes from what I can lose. We feel pressure from the things that we can lose. Do you have anything to lose? We all got stuff to lose. There's all kinds of things that we can lose. And the enemy wants to come in and think, you're going to lose this. You're going to lose this job. You're going to lose your money. You're going to lose your security. You're going to lose whatever. He wants you to feel like you're going to lose something unless you do this. Unless you deny Jesus, Peter, you're going to be in that room with him. You want to go through that? Oh man, I am not ready for that. Mm Mm-mm. Now here's, get this, this is real important for us. Pressure exposes weaknesses. How many of y'all are familiar with that? Pressure exposes weaknesses. (laughs) 
When you feel pressure, it exposes the weaknesses you have in your life. But it also does this. It not only exposes weaknesses, it also reveals strengths. It exposes weaknesses and it reveals strengths. We put things under pressure to test them. If you're going to you know, build a, something that you want to hold people up, what do you do with it? You test it out. You see how it's, it's going to go. You know, we were in, um, I don't know, I think it was junior high. I don't remember exactly when it was, but we had this project in school and we were split up into partners and we had to build a bridge. We had to build a bridge out of toothpicks and cardboard. Anybody have that project when you were in school? We had to build a bridge out of toothpicks and cardboard. They gave us no instructions. We had glue, toothpicks, cardboard. And you could build a bridge any way you wanted to. But in the end, they were going to test the bridge. And whosoever bridge held the most weight would win. And so we all set out to build our bridges. And to, to build, and then we all, every single one had different designs. And you, you know, you put it together, you kind of test it to see how it's doing. And so, uh, we went through and, and they would buy these 25 pound boxes. I don't know what was in them, but they had 25 pound boxes. They brought them in and they would set them on. And after a while, you know, bridge after bridge was collapsing. Just under the weight, you know, 50 pounds, 75 pounds, 100 pounds. I don't know how many pounds they actually put on these things, but we got down to there were only two bridges left. Ours and someone else's. And we were completely different designs. For our bridge, we took the toothpicks and we laid them down flat and we glued them all together. We had three piles of these things and we put the piece of cardboard across there. And that would have to, to crush the glue and the, and the sticks to make that thing fall apart. That was how we did it. The other people took a larger piece of cardboard and took the toothpicks and stood them straight up and had them underneath of it like that. And so as we were going on up, neither bridge collapsed. They put all of the weight that they had in the room and none of our bridges collapsed. But our opponent was declared the winner. Simply because when they stacked the weight on the bridge, because our bridge was narrower, it rocked a little bit and he had a hard time making it stand. I said, I'll volunteer to sit on it and hold it up. I think it'll hold. And they didn't go for that. So they declared the other people the winner. We tested out all we could, but we didn't test out that part of would it, would it keep it steady. And so we lost in the end because of that. But see, pressure tests things. It tests the design. It tests how, how things... Have anybody done any plumbing work in their house? If you do plumbing, when you do plumbing, you do plumbing work when the pressure is off. You cannot do plumbing work when the pressure is on. So what you have to do is you have to turn the water off and drain all the water out of the line. Because if there's any water in there, you're not working on it. The water will cool the pipe and will not let it to, to harden correctly. So you have to get all the water out of the line and then you can begin to work on it. And once you work on it and you think you have it right, there's only one way to test it. Turn the water on. You gotta pressurize that line. And see, and when you pressurize that line, you turn the water on, sometimes you see a leak. And if that happens, guess what? 
you drain the lines, you take it all apart, you clean it all up, and you put it all back together again, and then you repressurize the line and see what happens. And if it leaks again, <laughs> there's no patch in this stuff. You've got to drain the line, take it all apart, but the pressure test stuff. Now, the reason that you look at it when you're pressurizing, you're going over here, you're checking it out, you're looking at it because you want to see if there's a problem, I want to know about it now while I'm ready to deal with it. And so you, you pressurize the thing, you find out, will it work? Will it go about? How many times have you tested with pressure something in your house with more weight or more than it was ever going to hold? Because you pressurized it. I want to see how strong is this thing. Is it going to work for me? Well, life comes at us with all these kind of things. We're going to feel pressure from feelings of inadequacy, past failures. We're going to feel pressure from the things that I may not get. We're going to feel pressure because there's stuff that we need to conceal. We're going to feel pressure from what I can lose. We're going to feel this pressure. The enemy means it for the purpose of defeating you. <laughs> but God doesn't. God says, no, you can make it through this. I'm going to be with you. Moses, I know that the king down there, the Pharaoh, he's going to test you. He's really testing me. Don't worry, I'm going to be with you. I know how much it's going to take to get this guy to obey and to finally let you guys go. But don't worry, I'm prepared for it. I'm ready. Don't give in. And the first test came and what happened with the children of Israel? They came on out and they said, oh, you guys have been loafing. So we're going to give you more work and no straw. And they, when the pressure got turned on, what happened to them? They complained against Moses and Moses faltered for a little bit. The only time he ever did after that. Then he came back and says, all right, now we're, he was stronger than ever. Pressure comes to test us to see how we hold up. Pressure comes because when we get under that pressure, I get used to it. I'm used to being under this pressure. And so it's not so bad when it comes on me again. I've been used to this pressure coming at me and little by little it's been increasing. It's been increasing. It's been increasing. Anybody ever worked out with weights? Mm -hmm. That's pressure, isn't it? Yes. You start out with 50 pounds. You work up to 60, you get to 70, you get to 80, you get to 90, you get to 100, you get to 110. You didn't start out at 110, did you? You started out a smaller amount and you kept increasing, put more pressure on, more pressure on. And the more that you continued to work out with that pressure, the more you got used to it, the more you were able to hold up under it. So here's a question. How have you fared so far? How have you done so far? With the pressure as it comes on you, whether it's from life, whether it's from the enemy, however the pressure comes on you, and understand this, some pressure comes from God. There are times God says, Daniel, I need to send you into a pressurized situation. Moses, I need to send you into a pressurized situation. There are times that God says, I need to send you into a pressurized situation. I've been working to get you ready. Are you ready? Are you ready? The queen went before the king. Was that a pressurized situation? When she had to stand up for her people? When Esther came, was it a pressurized situation? She was made ready. And when the situation came, she, she went in. 
She was ready for it. God is getting you ready for situations that you will face. Some of them you're going to face because it's part of the call. Paul's call was to go into some pressurized situations and preach the gospel. And God says he's going to suffer some things for it, but I need him to do it. God needs you to get ready. There's pressure coming. It's either going to push you away or make you ready for more. What's it going to be? As we get going on this, we're going to learn more about how it is that we can tell the voice of God that is His discipline to steer us and what is from the enemy in which we must resist. It's real important that we learn that. But next week, this is what we're going to get into. Next week, we're going to be looking at a couple of, of individuals and some of the pressure that came into their lives for a particular particular purpose. How many of you have ever felt that you have hit the wall in your walk with God? That you're not going any further in your walk with God? You've hit a, an impasse and it seems like you're not growing in that area. We're going to show you some people who will teach you how to overcome that. Because it's not God's fault. There's some things you need to learn. And we're going to show it to you from the Word of God. There is a very important element, a very important key that we need to learn in these pressurized situations that has kept many a Christian weak and not in their call at all. In fact, some Christians never step foot into the call of God for their life. And it's not because no one gave them a chance. It's because they didn't learn this lesson. This lesson that we will show you next week is one of the most important lessons that you need to learn in this area. It is huge. We'll get into it next week. We almost got into it this week. And I said, oh, no, we need, to, we need to get this one first. And then we'll get into that. If you can really get this, this whole thing down with the pressure, you can look at every single story in the Word of God and begin to pick out the pressure that's there. You can look at every single one. Because every single one, there's pressure. Every single one. When Adam and Eve were in the garden, did they face pressure? And there's only one thing too. One choice, right? <laughs> one choice. Eat the tree or not eat the tree. Did they, did they have pressure? Yeah, they had pressure for? We may not be able to get that again. And then when they did it, they felt pressure to conceal. Right? Oh, you can go through the Word of God with every single story in there. And you can see where there's pressure. But we're going to look at, I think there's, I think it's uh, three examples. I think I've uh, expanded it beyond the two. We're going to look at three examples again and some of the teaching in the New Testament. If you get this down, if you have hit an impasse in your Christian life, this will help you get past it. This will help you to, to overcome it. It's a lesson, like I said, a lot of Christians just don't learn. You just don't, uh, just don't pick it up. Would you all stand up with me? Glory to God. Father, we thank You for a good day. We thank You for the things You teach us in Your Word. Father, we are open to hearing the correction that comes from You. We want that when You steer us in a direction, all You need to do is speak and we yield. But when we hear the pressure from the world, when we feel the pressure in the situations that we're in, we resist it. We don't give in. We stand strong 
We don't falter. Father, we thank you for it. We give you the praise and the glory for it. You are growing us up for the purpose, for the plans that you have for us, for the direction that you're taking us. And every situation we face is an opportunity for us to learn how to not change in pressure and how to yield to the discipline of God. We thank you for it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Before we go, Ray had a testimony he wanted to give us. If you don't mind hanging on here for a few. Yeah, it's a small testimony, nothing too big. Um, as you know, I was uh, ill last weekend. Um, and the testimony is that I stand before you. <laughs> because uh, what happened was, is I had some problems uh, starting a new job, uh, getting trained for the new job. You know, every time you start something new, you get pressure. <laughs> And uh, I was having some problems and um, uh, just some minor, minor symptoms and whatever. And finally, at the end of the week, uh, it got a little worse. And I thought, maybe I better get this checked out. So I go in and, and they do lab work and they do an echocardiogram and things like that. And everything's normal. Can't find any reasons for my little problems, little swelling and stuff like that. So they gave me an option, do a stress test do a cardiac cath. And I'm like, all right, well, you know, I'm a cardiac nurse. And uh, to me, cardiac cath is nothing, you know. And they said the one thing they told me is with the stress tests and larger people that they get false positives a lot. So I said, let's do the cardiac cath. Let's, you know, find out everything's clean. And then we'll just figure it's probably, you know, overweight and I need to exercise and whatever. They do the cardiac cath. This is the heart. There are several major vessels in the heart. Uh, one of them supplies the, um, the major blood supply to the left side of the heart, which is the part that pumps to all the body. That one was 70 to 80% occluded. Had we not done the cardiac cath, we could have missed it. We in the cardiac parlance call that the um, <clears throat> widow maker because that's the one where the guy you know, is walking down the road, seizes, you know, cries out, keels over, and is dead because that's how much supply this blood brings. So we found it. Then we had to do another cardiac cath, because now we have to go to a different institution where they have heart, um, they can do you know, a cardiac bypass if they need to, so forth. And they put in a stent, and the stent's fine. And I'm feeling good. I've been saved from <laughs> sudden you know, pushing up daisies, as it were. <laughs> So I'm here, you know, but I said, you know, throughout, throughout the word, and I've been thinking about this, you know, I had no fear the whole time, even after I found out what the result of the first cath was and being a cardiac nurse, knowing what it meant, I didn't think about it. I was just calm. And I'm sure a lot of, a lot of the prayers from the people that knew I was sick, you know, helped, but I had no fear. It wasn't until two days afterwards that I fully realized how close I came. <laughs> you know, and, uh, you know, and just realize that, but, uh, I feel good to be here, <laughs> but yeah, I, he, he obviously has something else that he wants me to do cause he's kept me around, but you know, throughout there, you know, God says, I'll be with you. I'll be with you. Uh, I'll, you know, basically I've got your back. Well, he had my back this time. So praise him, praise him. <laughs>